It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For all the latest betting markets, odds and promotions, visit WilliamHill.com. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Well, hello, welcome to Middle Please Umpire. We are back. My name is Miles Chupp, and of course, I'm joined by a 95 mile per hour pace merchant, World Cup winner, uh, aesthet, philosopher, uh, dancer, lover, Mark Woods. Hello, Mark. <laughs> hello, Miles. Are we are we technically into our second over here, our second test match? Second, well. Well, say it's this is a, the second over of Middle Please Empire. So we've put we've bought a, a good first over, but now we really need to ramp it up a little bit. Uh, it's well, we've got to execute our skills. We've got to just it's about the areas, isn't it? It's just about the right areas. <laughs> but I tell you something, you know, the spirit in that dressing room, etc., etc., etc. Have you had to do any fronting up to the press lately? Have you have you have you been on any um, media duties? Well, my my last few weeks have been very interesting, actually, but. In the more recent future, yes, I have had to do a media interview and it involved Jonathan Van Tam, the deputy medical officer for the whole of the government, um, right. who, funny enough, I don't think he was a cricket fan, but we had to promote the vaccine. And um, it was a bit serious because the producer cut me off straight away when I suggested that we call him Jonathan or Jean-Claude Van Tam after, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme. But they didn't. That didn't catch on at all. So um, it was obviously no smiling, no laughing. Ask serious questions, get serious answers. But yeah, so I still I managed to mention in it, which it'll be very interesting to see if they edit it out. My question was, Mark, what are you most looking forward to when everything gets back to normal? And I said, Well, uh, recently I've been swimming in a bath in quarantine, so I'm looking forward to getting back to my local swimming club. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if that makes it actually. It'd be amazing if that is your only contribution to it when they finally put it together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God, and get just him out. To, get him out. And we've just we've just got time from a word from Mark Wood. I've recently been swimming in a bath. And <laughs> what is it? Is it a sort of serious infomercial? Is it like you're are you sort of a bit like the Green Cross code man? Yes, yeah, so it was me, 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 Chris Jordan and Sam Curran had done a thing where um it'll be put out on cricket platforms for, to promote people getting the vaccine. We had to ask some questions. I mean, I'm assuming that if you went for a acting role, if if they just weren't keen, what would they sort of say to you? Because they, they did they said something to me at the end, and I want to see if it's the same thing that they would potentially say to you. They'll say something like, "Well, of course, there's a lot of options. We've got a lot of people to consider." And then when you don't get it, my agent will go. Um, she sometimes just says, "That's gone away," as in you don't worry about it. Or, but otherwise, it's um, they've they, they've decided to go um, another way with it, and you could be like specific about it and think what they mean is they've decided they want someone 10 years younger or 10 years older or whatever you know but actually it could it could cover someone who's quite like you and is slightly cheaper whatever whatever it is what did they say to you at the end never call us thanks a lot for your contribution <laughs> we're really glad you came on chris you in particular are a massive help and thank you sam <laughs> 
that is there that's how certain directors work where you're like you're sort of all day you've got one question and they just sort of won't really answer it as if they're sort of far too busy and yet someone else they'll sort of endlessly indulge you'd think i'd be used to it with going oh what are you you take your jumper now which is basically you're off so you'd think i'd be used to it now but the stick the sting still hurt if i'm honest uh, what's the shortest number of overs you've bowled for joe root before he's gone all right mate you're probably you're probably missing your jumper a bit on you two of us uh we're gonna we're gonna Go with someone else, but you stay warm for the other end because when he comes off, you might pull that in. Yeah, you've got to remember, don't get too down about it, Mark. It's There's 90 overs in a day. No one can bowl all the time. Uh, so it's a matter of just, you know, we're doing the rest and rotation thing, but during the game. So I want you to rest now. Were you in the dressing room or where were you during the <laughs> culmination on what would have been the only the uh, second day of the uh, I Made a Bad Test? Where where did you watch your colleagues from during that innings? Uh, unfortunately, my bedroom, because on day one, I got a bad migraine, um, something I don't get very often, actually, which is um, the, the glare in the stadium. I mean, it's a massive stadium. We were playing with a pink ball and they've got like orangey pinky seats. I haven't seen a cloud the whole time I've been here. It's quite bizarre. It's like you lose a bit of your vision. So if I, had, if I was to put all 10 fingers in front of my face and I looked straight forward, there'd be three or four of them missing. So it's like an, like an aura or something that's called where you lose a, a bit of your vision. And then that's when you know about half an hour later, you can, it's as if someone's sticking a, a hot rod through one of your eyes and you've just got to tough it out, dark room, no noise. It's like in Back to the Future when he's when he doesn't know if his parents are going to get together and his fingers start disappearing off the when he's playing the guitar. <laughs> yeah, exactly God. the same. Exactly the same. I, I can't believe that uh, the way I've described this. And you have to go to Joe and say um, Joe, as I call him. You have to go to Joe Root and say I I you know, I think I think some of my fingers are missing, and he has to think, oh, what am I what am I dealing with here? Uh, Mark, you, you've got ten fielders at the minute. You're only counting six. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I'm having a migraine, Joe. I may have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we playing with a four-one field? Oh no, <laughs> he's, he's he's gone again. There's been other things I've been doing. Obviously, I mean, I went home. I was loads of snow at home, so I did plenty of sledging with my little lad. And then we we come back to India. Uh, we had to wear, wear a mask, um, not a face mask, but like a a shield over your head that I can only describe as like. When you get your Christmas calendar and you eat all the chocolates and you rip it apart and there's that sort of, the blocks of plastic, it was almost like having to wear that over your face with little holes and pockets all over for breathing. That was a bit bizarre. And then the most bizarre thing was... How, how long did you have to wear that for? Uh, the whole flight. So you couldn't you couldn't sleep or anything. But um, luckily we were in, an, in a nice comfy seat, so I just relaxed. We get to Bangalore and then we have an eight-hour journey across India from Bangalore on what we what we were told was a luxury bus, but was more like a bus. Was more like the Vanga bus from <laughs> from <laughs> the music video, the cat bus from my neighbour Totoro. Yeah, we stopped on the state lanes because they needed a pass to get us over, which should never have happened. And of course, in the middle of nowhere in India, when there is a group of people in England cricket kit, and we have a guy or two guys with ginger hair one of them being paul collingwood our world cup winning t20 batsman and um the other being johnny bairstow our world cup winning batsman you'd think we were, we were easily recognizable so within seconds there's people coming up the bus and begging and trying to you know get something out well there's fans trying to take pictures and then a guy out of nowhere comes up with a machete which changed the mood slightly on the bus so we've gone from the venga party bus to um you know all of a sudden it's like speed and we're telling the driver you must not drop below 60 mile an hour and get us all the way to Chennai um, and we nicknamed that guy Machete Mick and although we thought that he might try and cause some harm Machete Mick was actually just cutting coconuts um, at the side of the road and had brought his machete to show us that and uh, wanted us to buy some coconuts of him so we thought he was cutting coconuts but maybe it was just after a lock of Johnny's ginger hair uh, and what he would use it to sort of create some kind of superhero like the hair that's stolen at the beginning of Superman. Or some sort of spell mixed in a coconut with milk, ginger hair, and maybe some essence of spice to create the next Vera Cooley. Well, also, though, I mean, if you, if you, what sort of cricketer would you get? If you combined elements of Paul Collingwood, Mark Woods, and Johnny Bairstow, you'd have 
well, that's that's a sort of ultimate all rounder. You've got keeping in there. You've got amazing sort of galley point fielding. Bowl ninety five miles an hour. Pure northern blood. Pure northern blood. Yeah, yeah. That 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 would be that. The three of you. I mean, the best bits of the three of you combined would would be an incredible cricket. I don't know. What, I don't know what the worst. <laughs> I don't know what the worst bits of the three of you are. You d- you needn't divulge, Mark. Um, and then now you're just back in. Um, <laughs> If you, did you have to isolate when you got back? Because I had to. I went to Poland to film something, and I had to quarantine there for three days. That then film for one day, and then I came home. And this is my this is day ten of isolating at home. This is for two relatively short scenes. So now are you fluent in in Polish TV, and have you picked up the language? Uh, most of it, yeah. I just no. I got, I just had a very Netflix heavy three days. Queen's Gambit I did the Queen's Gambit. Yes, yes, I've seen it. I like that very much. I love the bit at the end where she, not not as, well, this, yeah, it's a spoiler, but I don't even care, where she goes and plays with local Russians at the end, doesn't she? She goes, she walks along in Russia, she sees a, a local game, and she goes to have a game with, with the local people. I, I would actually, I was thinking when I was watching, I would love to be able to do it. Like somewhere in, like in India where they're mad about cricket. Can you imagine, because you see, as we're driving to the ground, kids playing at the side of the road. I'd love to get off the bus and just say, ah, oh, come on, lads, give us a game. I mean, they'd probably show me up, but it'd still be, <laughs> it'd still be good fun, wouldn't it? I think, have you not done that? Like, if you're playing in the sort of Caribbean or whatever and there's beach, have you not just wandered in and said... In England, um, near where I live, I've seen a family at um, at, at the beach and um, my wife was like, go on, um, go, on, uh, go and have a game with them. They'll know who we are. Go and mark out your full run-up, Mark. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> and this this family were like, who's this weirdo here trying to trying to have a game with me? Yeah, why, why is he trying so hard? <laughs> they didn't have a clue who it was. They're like, what's he doing, this guy? What else has been happening here? Well, the, the walls are extremely thin here. Um, Stuart Broad is in the room next to me. And every night I hear his Call of Duty slangs. What on earth is going on here? Where does he come from? <laughs> no, 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 no. Get back. He's in there. Does he join Call of Duty? Is there a sort of instant officer class thing that he can log straight into? Well, he's got the he's got the tones. Well, he wouldn't start a private. He'd be straight in at a sort of marshal or higher ranking officer with his accent. So um, it sounds to me like he dishes out the, maybe the orders for the other lads. There's another chap holding the actual controller. That's it. Go up. Aim a bit. That's oh, it. no. Actually, I've got a couple other things to tell you as well. And they're not. one of them's not good, Miles. Yeah, this isn't a confessional, Mark. I mean, don't I don't I don't want to, you know... Oh, no, do you know what? Go for it. Absolutely unburden yourself. I went on another podcast. I, I cheated on you. Yeah, I, I went on the Barmy Army podcast. Well, I think, in a, in a way, in a way there's an inevitability about that. You know, you're away from home. <laughs> Lots of opportunities when you're in quarantine. <laughs> um, no, I think I think that's good, Mark, in a way. And I, I hope that what you've learnt from doing the Barmy Army podcast, you'll bring back to here, and perhaps we can try out some of those techniques. Um, what? It, it meant nothing to me. Um, I well, I'd encourage I'd encourage people to listen to the Barmy Army podcast. Yeah, no, it was very good. Um, I went in there as a as a podcast spy. Um, I didn't get a lot out of it because um, it was very good. So um, I was only on as a as a quick guest uh, to, to look ahead of the India series, but. Yeah, that was the bad news. That's all. I think I don't think we have to be exclusive. You know, my agent rings up and says, "I've got, I've got." Is this a confession from you? I feel like I haven't been doing other podcasts. No, because that is that is filthy. Um, (laughs) That that is absolutely filthy. No, but honestly, you you know, you're you're free. I'm not. I am not your keeper, Mark Wood. I mean, how many times have I had to scream down the phone at you? Uh, no, I mean, if you, you know, if somebody, God, if someone else wants to try and harness the wind that is Mark Wood, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we didn't, we haven't talked enough about your potential on the Ahmedabad pitch, which the locals called Om, Omnibad, which I, I find bizarre, but they obviously know better than us. But in Ahmedabad, as we say, I think you'd have been lethal. Well. I suppose if I could have got it to land on the strip, it could have ended up, well, any anywhere, I guess. Or the one, I mean, 
it's all very well having a like a ball that occasionally goes straight on, but you've got to bowl it straight in the first place. Well, I, th- I feel like your downfall just from listening to your training would be that you only bowl one over spells. So I think fatigue might <laughs> fatigue come in quickly. But luckily, go on, take a sweater. You are trained in the sauna. Yeah, yeah, but one one over for me. I mean, that could be fourteen or fifteen balls. That's that's you know, I'm nearly sort of two thirds of the way through a Mark Wood spell there. Once I've got to the end of that over, <laughs> there'd be like. Root would be saying, hey, why don't you go and, why don't you pop your jumper on? I wouldn't like to be a human in the room, but a fly on the wall of a, a dressing room during a collapse. I mean that that just strikes me as being tremendously exciting. When you've got when when just Kit is literally flying about. Yeah, it's very quiet normally with a bit of tension. And people keep coming out of the toilet going, Oh, what's happened now? Yeah, it's normally very quiet with a bit of tension and then an eruption. And then very quiet with a bit of tension, then an eruption. Have you been part of uh, any gr- great collapses? Uh, definitely. Off the top of my head. In, in New Zealand, were you there? I was there, I wasn't playing. I've been involved in plenty where we've been going well and then uh, we've just collapsed at the end. But if, uh, when, you, when you, especially if you've been out in the field and it's the old batters beat bowlers and they've racked them up and then you're losing wickets, you're like... What were we doing wrong, or what, why would I get any runs? That can be particularly hard. But yeah, it's a, it's a strange place to be when you when you're in a collapse. But what about the like the, the the reverse of that then? When someone sort of stops the rot, have you been in a situation where, in the middle of a sort of chaotic collapse and a dressing room of frenzy, has anyone ever suddenly said the thing that some people needed to hear? That's changed it. Is it a turnaroundable situation? Uh, Stuart, Stuart Broad's good for for situations like that. Because he sees it very black and white, and often just wants people to just play with freedom, or almost takes the pressure off and says, "Oh, we've got nothing to lose as lower order players," and that can often make you play better. And we've played a couple of knocks together, me and Brody batting together, where it's gone particularly well because we felt like we had nothing to lose, or we could just be adventurous, I guess. And I think that's that's worked really well for us. And but surely you'd bet yourself in in a situation where you had to keep an end up. Surely you'd, you'd back yourself if someone was, I don't know, absolutely flying at the other end. If you've got Jose down the other end and you say, you just stay there, surely you can do that. There's times where it's gone wrong, though. I've been in, in that situation. I mean, the World Cup, I nicked off against Sri Lanka when Stokes was going to win us the game. So I've been on both sides of that, where you back your ability and then other times where it doesn't quite go your way. So mentally, you've got to be quite tough and sort of try and be a walk be water off a duck's back kind of thing. Have you been doing any reading, Mark? No, um, I've been watching um, a show on Samurais on Netflix and also a show called Warrior. Uh, Again, that's sort of like um, uh, fighting in San Francisco of uh, Chinese come over. It's very entertaining. Actually, one of the main actors actually follows me on Instagram. I had a couple of messages with him. Is he a cricket fan? Uh, I think so. I'm I'm not sure. Oh, I, I didn't know you were speaking to other actors, Mark. (laughs) <laughs> Double cheat, oh god, you'll never speak to me again. Probably last but not least, as I've um I've pulled out the IPL. Yeah, just because you thought this is is that I mean that's just for for home and head, really. Yeah, probably yeah, a couple of, a couple of obvious reasons. I mean, firstly, I wouldn't see my family for another eight weeks on top of this, six weeks on top of that. Um, and you know, if things have been different with the coronavirus, I know my family could have come out or. They might have been able to come to the England, the England part of the tour, um, and the and the second reason is basically because I want to, you know, have England as my priority. It's a massive year where we've got one Diaz, T twenties, T twenty World Cup, Test matches against India, uh, Ashes at the end of the at the end of the year. So it's a massive um, amount of games to play. And I don't want to burn out where I'm going from bubble to bubble. Um, mentally, that can sometimes be hard, although we're very lucky. We'll get to stay in fantastic hotels, looked after well. Although we're very lucky, I think at times it you know, it can be mentally draining. And I, and I want to be fresh and round to go for England. And, and that will give me a better opportunity, I think, later in the air where others, if others play in this, I'm hoping they're not going to be. But for me, with my injury record and, um, everything that goes on. I mean, the positive option would have been to go. Um, one for obviously financial reasons, and two because with the 2020 World Cup, yeah, I could really get better, learn some things, and be put in pressure situations, which can help down the line. 
But, you know, now that I've made the decision, I'm very comfortable with it. And um, it means I get to go back to my family, start the English summer and hopefully have a, a great rest of the rest of the year. Well, I mean, I, it sounds like um, a decision you've made with your um, with your big boy pants on, really. I was reading an article actually recently by Michael Atherton in the Times, and he was just saying, in terms of just the actual <laughs> volume of volume of cricket, you know, it's an ex- it's an extraordinary year, quite without all the um, uh, all all the COVID stuff. So I th- I think you know I think I think you've made a, a really good choice there. I must say. Thanks. It's, it's hard to speak to the IBL lads because they obviously all sit on the IBL table, so it's hard to get at them. But I'm sure at some point <laughs> have they got uh, their own special thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah the, B- the BCCI um... pay for completely different accommodation for them. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I get to them, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe let them know. Well, that food looks nice. What's that? Oh, this is for the um, this is for the IPL <laughs> table. No, sorry. <laughs> Brilliant. No, no. There's, I think there's something. There's just, you know, just, just see what you can find down the end there. You just, you, you, you people who merely play international sport. <laughs> I've been watching the PSL on. Um, yeah, I've watched about three games. I can't always tell who is there. There's Karachi Lahore, Quetta, David Gower is commentating on them. Um, so that's very nice. Can, can you name me three? You name me three PSL teams now. Full names. <sighs> Lahore Qualanders, Quetta Gladiators, Molten Sultans. Ding, ding, ding. The Rawal Pindi Octonauts. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I've run, I've run, I've, I've run out. For getting three PSL teams right, you've you've won this goldfish. <laughs> the the bag of ice that's been on my ankle. That's absolutely delightful. That is, that's what it is. That's not a sample. That's just ice. It's either a bag, a bag of ice, or a goldfish. When I was little, I remember going to the fun fair and winning a fish, and then I said to my dad, "Can you hold it?" And he said yes. And then we went on a ride, and there wasn't space for me in the ride. And I said, "I'll, I'll step off." And my dad was on the ride. It was like a waltzer, and I remember <laughs> just looking up and seeing my dad on the waltzer, going, "Oh God!" <laughs> and just holding up to this fish that must have been because <laughs> uh, I've got a short memory, haven't they? They'll have been like, "I'm dizzy, but I don't know why." You know, why? Why did we even start this? I just remember him actually clinging onto it. And after he's like, "I really should have given the fish back to you before I got on the ride." <laughs> <laughs> Extraordinary, oh, amazing. Now, uh, over the course of the last series, uh, we were asking you uh, for your contributions. Mark came up with a series of frankly baffling questions, but nevertheless, you've done your best. Uh, to provide us with answers, there. Were, I mean, last season there were some season series. I don't know what we call it. Last um, the last bunch of episodes, there were some answers that I still think about now. The phrase I to this day I have no idea how that sock got in the bottle. I think will live will live with me forever. And also that amazing story of the <laughs> of the man with the ball in his grill, <laughs> run, running away from the fielders. Absolutely astonishing. Um, so here we are. Uh, I'm coming to these uh, completely uns- sight unseen. Uh, so here we go. This is from Jan Carney. We played a game in Leicester a few years ago. Bowling first, the oppo scored a mammoth 300 in 40 overs. It was back in the days of 90 overs a match, so we had 50 overs to bat. We were roughly 100 for six as another wicket fell to send me into bat with a win now impossible. I warned the captain that my aim was to secure a draw and see out the match, even if it meant not scoring a single run. Sure as hell, I returned to the pavilion three hours later, <laughs> not not out of 78 deliveries, <laughs> even after they put their opening batsman on to score some pies. Great memories. I've even got a photo of the scorecard to prove it, even if my name was spelt wrong. Um, there, it, That is an ast- Crikey, that is a that's a proper stint. Uh, mem- you know, worthy of some of the great uh, defensive uh, batsmen of our time. That can go onto social media to prove this legendary story. Here's a story about training drills. This is from Charlie Auckland. Uh, love the podcast, he says. Sadly, I was never quite up to the standard of playing. Of play- <laughs> this is an amazing sentence. Sadly, I was never quite up to the standard of playing cricket, but I had always loved the sport and had wanted to get involved. But not quite like this. I played in a hockey team at the time, and we would try to practice deflections at goal. To achieve a consistent hit, we thought we would use a cricket bowling machine to fire balls at a small ramp and then try to get a touch on the ball. 
Unfortunately, the ramp never quite worked, so this led to essentially standing in front of a bowling machine, desperately trying to avoid chest or head-high hurtling hockey balls with nothing but a hockey stick, shin pads and a mouth guard. Uh, we had somehow recreated a net session purely consisting of bouncers but with far less kit on. Probably why we never scored any deflections in matches. Everyone was absolutely terrified. Yeah, that reminds me so much of Ashton. Once we fired it, and we, I remember we had a school exam, and we all got out early, and of course you went to stay at school, but we thought we'll go to the local cricket club, we'll, we'll do some fielding or some batting on the ball machine. Across the field, we thought, well, it's a, it's quite a fair distance, that. We'll um, we'll put it on 90, 99 mile now, as hard as I can, try and fire it high. The first one we fired out went over the trees, hit the chairman's, at the time, the chairman's window, and his <laughs> alarm went off, to which we all just legged it. And I think still to this day, he's not sure how that ball ended up hit his window in his garden. And I, I mean, you'll know now, but even to this day, I, I would never admit that. <laughs> I used to play uh, defence in hockey, uh, like as with all sport, absolutely dreadful. So I would have played for like the fourth team in hockey, something like that. And I, I used to think it was unbelievably dangerous. Like, is it a penalty flick or a short corner where you you have to stand in the goal, basically, while someone whacks this thing at you from no distance? <laughs> Did it, would you rather would you rather have a hockey ball flicked at you like that at speed, so you're running out and you've maybe just got a mask on or nothing on, or would you rather face a fast baller? Well, that's the good thing about the running, isn't it? Because you can run out of the way deliberately. Well, or would you rather have all the kit on and have to face a 90-mile-an-hour baller? That is a good question. I think probably have all the kit on and face a 90-mile-an-hour bowler. And Andy Caddick, I think, is the fastest person I faced, and that was not, not at his career peak. And afterwards, I said to him, am I the worst person you've ever bowled to? And he said, yes. <laughs> Which gives us an extraordinary insight into his, into his manners, if nothing else. Uh, perhaps more so than even my abilities. OK, um... Nicknames. This is from Chris Smith. Uh, hi, Mars and Mark. Love the podcast and particularly hearing about the club nicknames. I'm wondering whether I may have some kind of record for the most nicknames within a single team. By members of Hartlepool Seconds, I am known as <laughs> Chinos, Gingerbread the Pirate, <laughs> Upside Downhead, Friar Tuck, Kojak and Alan. Um, well, I particularly want to know how you got the last one. In a way, I think we could unpack how a few chinos, perhaps you made the mistake of rocking up in some chinos once. Gingerbread the Pirate, I I have no idea. That sounds like some sort of soft play disaster. <laughs> uh, Kojak Friar Tuck, I'm imagining some sort of pat, pat, pattern baldness. Um, upside down head. Oh, has he got a beard? I wonder if he is uh, shaved head but be- but bearded. Are you guessing nicknames? Are you playing Guess Who here? I'm playing Guess Who. Are you Alan? Uh, I'm playing <laughs> Guess. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to work out. All I know about Chris Smith is his name. Well, what he tells us is his name, and what his nicknames are. So I'm trying to build a picture. Mm. You know, build build. You know, like forensically, like they would do in a sort of an incident room. Oh, now here's a here's a here's a here's a letter. This is uh, from um, Jack Leach. Brackets, also known as The Nut. Big fan of the podcast, uh, exclamation mark. I play cricket with Mark Wood, and I have a nickname for him. The nickname is Juppy, because all he talks about is his new best friend, Miles Chupp. It's Juppy this, Juppy that. Also, when he bats, he refuses to take anything but middle out of respect for the podcast and Miles. He says he enjoys promoting the podcast on Stump Mike whenever he asks for his guard. All the best, Jack. Well, that's. I mean, that is. That's. That is our. That's our first letter from uh, a current serving Test cricketer. You look. Oh, I have to say, you can't see this, viewers, but I can see Mark on Zoom here, and he looks incredibly moved. Actually, he's quite. I've been absolutely stitched up there. Man, every over I bowled in Sri Lanka, Jack Leach called me Juppy. Every ball, <laughs> great ball and Juppy, great lines, Juppy, great pace, Juppy. Execute your skills, Juppy. You've become somewhat of a of a national hero. Without without doing I mean literally without doing anything. <laughs> in terms of, you know, someone to be compared to and with while you're, you know, running in a bowl, I would have I would have thought it would be quite helpful. I mean if they start calling me Woody when I'm turning out for Monmouth Fourths, I'll have feel there's a certain karmic circularity <laughs> about the whole thing. Um why is he called the nut? On the account that his head's shaped like a nut. Right. <laughs> What's, what particular nut would that... Uh, what is, 
What's his shape like? Hazelnut. Hazelnut. It's not a Brazil nut. A hazelnut. Okay, we should have him. We should have Jack Leach on, shouldn't we? I think I think you would love to come on. I think we should have um, a furniture item called, uh, or a one-off, uh, called Crack the Nut, uh, in which he comes on, and we either have to make him laugh, uh, or, um, well, what other ways can you crack someone? Besides himself with grief, uh, whichever seems whichever seems easier. But he's quite a, he's a he's a tough guy, isn't he? He's put up he's put up with a lot. He's uh, scored one of the greatest singles in the history of international cricket. He's a great, great man. But but he is not. I mean, this is a pipeline dream. I agree. We should have him on, but he's not our guest this week. Our guest this week is is more of a batsman, I believe. Uh, he is more of a batsman than Jack Leach. Yeah, uh, a fellow spinner. Mm, mm. Do you want to tell the listeners who our guest is, Mark? He has. I'm all ears, all ears, Mark. He has um, five toenails. Oh, only five? On one foot. Across both feet. Oh, just on one foot, right. Okay, so you're not, you're not narrowing it down as much as I... Um, is it Denzel Washington? <laughs> <laughs> good good try, nice start, Noel. Um, he also has five toenails on the other foot. Oh, um, is it former director of public prosecution, Sir <laughs> Keir Starmer? <laughs> No, and the last clue is England cricket test captain. Oh, uh, pass. <laughs> it's Joe Root. I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketers Gin. Cricketers Gin is the perfect podcast partner, as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinkney's Green, Berkshire. Over a G&T, the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketers features milk thistle, wild marjoram and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. Cricketers, a small batch gin and a family-owned business. This podcast is supported by SafeBand. SafeBand is the indigo silicon wristband that lets people know that you, or a member of your family, has been vaccinated to protect them from COVID-19. And with every SafeBand that's ordered by you, or people like you, we donate one to a frontline key worker or vulnerable member of the community. Slowly, life will return to how it once was. Until then, we're determined to get things back to normal for those who've taken the first step. Find out more by clicking the link in the description or visiting safeband.me. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Slog swept it. There's a man out there. Will he cut it off? No. Test match, double hundred, number four for the England captain. A wide grin from one of the greats of English cricket. Well, we welcome to Middle Please Umpire today's guest who, uh, would you believe it, is none other than Joe Root. Hello, Joe. Hello, Miles. Rudy. <laughs> nice to speak to you both. Nice to see your faces. Are you having some good rest now, Joe? Yeah, it's been lovely to have a, a bit of time at home. Nice to see the family. The kids are almost twice as big as I remember. I was talking to me as if he's 15 years old, which is quite scary. And and Bella is is crawling all over the place. She could she couldn't even sit up on her own when I left. So things seem to have moved on quite quickly over here. Um, so it's nice to get home, spend some time with them, and, you know, just get some downtime again. So it's no difference then, really, from the lads. You got Loza running around on the floor. Bella's like looking after you, mate. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Joe. Great start. <laughs> and have you had is it a chance then to just drop back into sort of Sheffield life properly when you come home, Joe? Do you got I don't know, do you fill the um fill the hot tub filled with Hendersons and just think about being at home? It's so nice to to be able to come home and even just do simple things, take the bins out, do the washing up, 
it sounds silly, but it, the little things actually quite a nice nicety when you get home. Oh yeah, I was going to ask. I was going to ask about that. What 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 night do your bins go out, Joe? Monday night up here. Oh, it's a Sunday down here in uh, South Wales. Yeah. Oh no, you're right. It's Sunday. I'd have, I'd have missed actually if it was this week. I'd have missed because it is a Sunday. You're right. I get quite excited about it. We call we call Sunday night Big Bin Days Eve in our house, and I get very excited. All the children, if they've been good, they're allowed to go around collecting the bins. It's lovely. Now, I wanted to talk to you, really, about what you've done so far this this year. I mean, it's a big old long year, uh, schedule-wise, 365 days as per from a purely chronological sense. But you've gone out there and you've scored, I mean, you've scored a lot of runs very, very quickly. I mean, if you were in a casino and you went in and you won big at the beginning, you'd sort of, that, that's when you'd walk away, isn't it? But you're not in that luxurious position. You've, you've got to stay at the table for another 86 tests or whatever it is. How are you feeling about that? I mean, it couldn't have been a better start from a, from a batting point of view. I think more than anything, it's it's just really nice to have some runs behind you. Going into a, a very busy year, bit busy summer of cricket and then beyond the ashes, you want to be sort of peaking towards that. But as you well know, as, as a batter, your job is to set the game up, to, to let guys like Woody go and take the wickets and, and win you the game and take all the glory. So it's just having that sort of mindset, that process of how can we best possibly give ourselves the best chance of winning the game and, it's very simply just trying to get into a frame of mind where batting long periods of time, um, being smart about how you're going to score your runs on any given surface, um, marrying that up together and then just trying to stay in that uh, in that zone, if you like. Uh, and I felt once I got going in Sri Lanka, I felt in a really good place, uh, got the rhythm of the wickets and, the, and the, um, I suppose the tempo of the games quite nicely and a, a solid method to, to score it out there. Uh, and managed to carry it forward to start the India series. Obviously, didn't quite materialise in the last couple of games. Um, you know, granted, the, the surfaces were quite challenging, but um, you know, it's still nice to have that in the, in the bank going into a, a big year where, as a senior player and captain, you want to lead from the front. You want to be scoring big runs and setting the example for the guys to follow. And is that a good motivation? Say those pitches, they looked, I mean, I, I'm no expert, but they look quite hard to bat on. Is it quite a good motivation then at the back of your head thinking, I've got to set this up for Woody? Is that what's drummed into you by Spoons? Does he get everyone around and go, now remember, guys, it's naught for naught, but at some point Mark Wood's got a bowl out there. So what we need is just, you know, make, let's make it easy for him rather than hard. In a, in a way, yeah. I think everyone will have their own slight, <laughs> <laughs> own slight um, pull on things. But ultimately, that's that's pretty much what it's about. Just try and make it as easy as you can for the bowlers. It's it's their game. It's always been their game. As batters get the rough end of it all the time in all oh, formats. Yeah, so. we go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're, we're the ones that stand there and get peppered the whole the whole week leading into the game, facing you in the nets when they're four yards over the the popping crease bowling massive no ball. So oh, come on, Joe, play nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And DRS has made it harder harder for batsmen, of course, the much easier game for bowlers. To be fair, it does look hard from five leg when I'm 30 yards away from the boundaries of 32 metres. So, yeah, it does look difficult from that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, on a serious note, though, it's everyone has their own little ways and intricacies of looking at it um, and their own process. But ultimately, I know there'll be days when Woody's out there flogging himself for 35 overs. And then when you get your opportunity, you've got to really make it count. You've got to give them a chance to, to have a bit of a rest and a breather for a, hopefully a day or so, so that when they get the chance to, to hopefully win you the game later on in the test match, they're ready to go. And they, you know, they've had that uh, that time off their feet so they can they can bowl at 90 mile an hour like, like Woody does over and over again. Have you retired that back, Rudy, from Sri Lanka? I'm not, I've not retired it officially now. I'm trying to find a way of keeping it going. As, as I know, Miles, uh, Joe has plenty of bats um, lined up in the dressing room. Some of them make their way into my bag, which I'm very grateful for, Joe. I believe the Blade of Justice was one of Joe's. I managed to just find its way into, into my bag. But um, the question I would like to ask Joe, I've never actually asked you this, is what do you differentiate between a good bat and a bad bat? <laughs> Depends how many runs you get with it, I suppose, for starters. For me, it's just about pick up how it picks up. I don't really look for how many grains it's got or anything like that. I like it to have a nice shape to it, to be have a lot of wood in it and try and pick up nice and light and keep it simple as that, really. And, and you don't really have any names for your bats, or they? No, I, I've not. I've never got to that stage. <laughs> what do you look for in a bat, Woody? Free one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I want I want nice soft edges. So if I bottom edge it onto my pad, it won't carry. It's got it's got a it's got to speak to it. It's got to have a name. We've got we've got a few. We've got a, <laughs> the Blade of Justice. We've got the the Black Panther, which is a black grip. And uh, New Balance again. I think you'll give me that one. Snow Leopard. <laughs> yeah, Snow Leopard. What? What's the Snow Leopard? It's a white grip one. <laughs> Extraordinary. All, all of these are bats from Joe that have just miraculously sort of made their way into my. But I don't know how. I mean, it's hard for Rudy to really notice when he's got fifteen lined up, and, and they're, <laughs> they're all really good. So. But you'll notice at the airport at the end of the tour when he doesn't have to pay a baggage allowance surplus. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've <laughs> you've been absolutely stung for it. Woody's built a shed in the garden with all, all of the ones he's stolen from me over the years, I reckon. Not true. Though. That's good. I could never put them in the shed. What are you on about? The shelves in the house. <laughs> India is where you made your test debut, Joe, back in um, 2012. I mean, going there now as captain, do you feel like a sort of weight of what you've achieved in the in the time since or is it a sort of source of inspiration i mean and also because you made a debut this is two questions in one possibly three because uh, you made your debut when you were young do you look back now on your debut and think what was i doing imagine going out into a game like this not knowing what i know now very interesting questions i think that i look back at that that tour now and just think i i improved tenfold as a player I remember getting there thinking I was absolutely ready to play. Uh, in my own mind, I was nailed on to, to open the batting with Cook in the first game, just from pure naivety more than anything um, and a lot of self-confidence. But I got there and very quickly realised where I was, how far behind some of the other guys I was. I mean, I was sharing a net with the likes of KP, Cookie, Ian Bell, Jonathan Trott, Matt Pryor. Guys that have been proven performers time and time again at test level. You know, you're facing Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, Monty and, and Swanee preparing for this series. And very quickly realised I had a lot of work to do. I'd not had a great, great amount of experience in India and in the subcontinent going into it. I'd had a couple of, I suppose, little tastes of it in under-19 cricket and Lions cricket. But I just thought from that point onwards, um, I, I had what, an eight-week tour on it. I knew I knew I wasn't going to start the games, uh, having played a couple of the warm-up games. And, and uh, it was about just trying to be a sponge, really, just trying to take in as much information as possible, learn as much as I could, develop my game, watch the likes of KP, how he bad. Contrastingly, as well, watching Cookie and how he went about it and uh, almost trying to pick different pieces of it and, and apply it to my own game and see what, what really fitted well with how I was going to try and score runs out there. And uh, I think more than anything is... I look back on that now and it's that whole experience really set me up for previous, all of the tours in between now and then, whether it be going to Sri Lanka, the UAE or India, I really benefit from that and learned very quickly how, how big a, a gap sometimes it can be from, from going and playing a couple of seasons of, of first class county cricket to the extremities of, of what a, a wicket like, in, uh, like you can get in India can, can produce and, and put in front of you. So. I look back and think, well, you know, I would definitely have not been able to play in the manner I did at the start of this year without without going through that as a player. And I really hope that the, the young bats that have been on this trip don't just sort of completely draw a line under it, try and forget the whole experience because it could have a real impact on the rest of their career if, if they look at it in the right way and, and use it as, a, as an advantage in it. I suppose a training aid moving forward. And so, say now, if you're if you're in the nets, and then in the next net over, you've got like a Lawrence or someone like that. Are you looking at them, thinking, right, that's me nine years ago? I'm in the position that KP was, or Ian Bell, or, or Trot, and whatever. And you think I'm I'm being watched, and I need I need people to learn from me without without being arrogant about it. I think more than anything, you're just trying to encourage them to to open up their mind to playing in these conditions, getting a really good balance between. Uh, making the the game that they have as good as it possibly can be, but also exploring and experimenting and finding ways of of adding to what you know has, has served them so well to that point. How how old were you two when you first were on a cricket field? So I would have played against Joe probably. I, I'm gonna say it's maybe six, he would have been a good sixteen. I'd have been a good seventeen. I reckon maybe when you were playing for Northumberland, it would either have been Northumberland or. Very early days, Durham Academy would have been. I definitely remember playing against Rudy a couple of times. Then one game where Rudy was a sort of textbook player that he was, but we told this one lad, "Look, he's very good on the short ball. 
let's keep it pitched up. We'll try and like sort of keep it dry. We'll not let him get runs here. First ball, bouncer went for six. We lost the ball. We get the ball back. <laughs> right, okay, hard lines. Next one, pitch it up. Next ball, bouncer, six again into the trees. Rudy managed to get 200. I feel it for a day and a half of my life, which I'll never get back. <laughs> and um, I'll never forgive that bowler for, for those two bounces ever again. <laughs> I wonder if Joe remembers that. Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you said I lost two balls because I hit it far enough into trees, I think makes, makes that story really unbelievable. If you just said it, it dribbled over the boundary. <laughs> I remember playing against the Woody at Durham when, probably a similar sort of time, might have been the same season, but I think it was the first time I ever really faced him. And it was obviously, he's always had a yard of pace. He probably wasn't as quick, well, he wasn't as quick as he is now. But the first ball he bowled at me was in a way swinging beamer, which I managed to nurdle down to the nick down You've to... You've got th- to have intimidation, Miles. Nick it down to third <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah. And I, I never felt, as he ran in for the next one, I, I was, I'll be honest, I was, I was actually quite scared. So he's always had that. <laughs> <laughs> that intimidating factor from being 17 years old even though in between he, he must have apologised 18 times I reckon polite but nasty I like that it's an outswinging beamer it's just not it's not just some harmless beamer there's a little bit of nuance to it a little bit of he's got, he's got a mystery beamer that boy yeah but the, the underlying thing to all of this so when we break that down truly it still went for four so no matter where you bowl at your route he still gets it for four that's, that's the, the real underlying issue there yeah, but also, presumably, you've changed, you've revised your opinion of Mark. You're not like sort of looking out during a test when it's getting a bit tricky and going, well, I can't throw the ball to him. He only bowls out swinging beamers. I, I'm not batting anymore. I'm not batting. I'm stood next to him, so it's all right. <laughs> but no, it's absolutely. I remember as well, a few years after that, we actually went on an under-19s game where we, we roomed together, and that was the first time I really got to know Woody. I think I think I couldn't drive at the time, so I was a year younger and I had passed my test, so Woody was driving me around to the games and stuff and we shared a room up in a it was, I think it was a we ended up being 12th men at Scarborough for the England under 19 so that was my first proper get to know Woody um, and I'd say we've been pretty good friends since really The thing that probably me and Woody had in common and, and still do was that Joe although he's admitted he is from Sheffield he's really one of us because his mum is a Geordie therefore we should ask Joe the old had a question is it bun, bat, or study? Oh, I'm going to say bun, but I know, that, I know oh, that's not what you want me to. No. You can call it a bat, but it's not right. <laughs> Is that the same as like a, a cob? Yeah. It's a study, man. And what's the last one? Sto- a study. I'm not even going to try and say that. Sto- it's a study. Get your mother's broth and you dip in your study. Comes from, comes from a great sporting background, though, Joe. As well, so never mind he's got his mother's Geordie traits. So it, all, it sounds very intimidating. Well, it's, it's, you know, the hard work nature of the Geordiness and the fact that he, he scores double hundreds. I'm sure his man probably did that as well. But his dad played rugby at Twickenham. Is that right, Joe? Yeah. So I want to know who, what comes up most at the dinner table, your hundred at Lords or your dad winning at Twickenham playing rugby? Don't get him started. He's, um, <laughs> he, he actually, that year he played at Lords and Twickenham and at the same, in the same year, he scored a, Scored the winning try and dropped a goal at Twickenham, and they won. They won the, uh, I think it was a national knockout, like club final. Um, so it, that that does come up every now and again. We also played against each other in a league game <laughs> where I was playing for Yorkshire Academy, and he was playing for Sheffield Collegiate, my club. And he actually hit me for six at Headingley, which he brings up on a regular basis. <laughs> every time he tells it, it's gone ten rows further back. So. <laughs> So who, who, when you were growing up, Joe, uh, who were the players that you sort of modelled yourself on? or And did that change once you became, once you were sort of part of the professional game? And did that, did that change? Yeah. For me to start with, I used to model myself on whoever scored runs in the, for England in a test match. So I'd watch, I'd watch the highlights, I'd watch the test match on, on Channel 4 growing up. And it might have been Mark Butcher, it might have been Nasser Hussain, Michael Vaughan, Marcus Scottick, and... You know, for the rest of that week, that's how I bat. I try and copy their trigger movement, watch what they did with their hands. If they had a, a flourish or whatever, I'd, I'd try and I'd just try and emulate it. And I wanted to be whoever was the one that was scoring runs for England. And then gradually, as I got older, you know, coming from Sheffield Collegiate, same club as, as Michael Vaughan, who at the time was England captain. You know, I, I watched how he played. He had that, that amazing 
winter in in Australia and and obviously captaining into that 2005 Ashes win. And I suppose it was obvious an obvious role model for me um, coming from the the same club and naturally. You know, I think you do look at your heroes. You know, watch likes of Ricky Ponting and the way he, he used to be able to pull the ball off off just back of a length and dream about doing that. Guys like Jacques Callis, um, some of the shots that he used to play. So I, I think more than anything, it's just watch it. I used to just watch and copy and learn as much as I could. Joe mentioned Jack Carter. I don't know if you remember, Miles, but uh, Jack Carter was part of the coaching team for Sri Lanka. And we had a run there, didn't we? We had a... Yeah, I hit I hit one through the covers and Jack said, wow, great shot. So, yeah, I mean, if that's where, if that's where we're going down, I just thought I'd jump, jump in that, that Jack Carter. I mean, he averaged 50-odd, thousands and thousands of runs, and he said, yeah, wow, great shot, Woody. I mean... I mean, if we're taking every little bit we can get, I just I don't want to feel like I'm missing out here. <laughs> Your batting as it's sort of evolved over the years, Mark. I think it's always very clear. You can see the sort of the influence of your of your coaches on it. Who I can't remember who was the England batting coach that said uh, if you hit one for a straight six, then the next wicket, next time you need to get as close to square leg as possible before you're absolutely castled. I can't remember who who was the batting coach in those. Uh, Alan Mullally. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he was <laughs> I remember getting his autograph at the Oval when I was probably a teenager and he had been out doing exactly that trying to absolutely heave it and lost if if not three stumps and certainly two and we were getting his autograph out in Harleyford Road and someone actually said to him what were you doing? Why did you do that? And he went, you get 50 grand if you hit it over the pavilion. And we were like, right. And then he got in his car and presumably drove 400 <laughs> miles and off to a county championship game there. It does seem a different, in many ways, more innocent time. Um, now, of course, a very exciting thing for both of you this year uh, coming up. Obviously, there's uh, lots of exciting test series. But, of course, the 100 is coming up. And I was looking at the um, well, the kits more than to me. That's 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 one of the most exciting aspects of it. And I think you've sort of lucked out there a bit, Joe, haven't you? Because you're are you the Nottingham team? Is that right? Yeah, Trent Rockets. That's right. The Skips team. Trent Rockets, and they've got Skips. Yeah, they've got now Skips. I think I think Skips are really delicious because it's the way they melt on the tongue, isn't it? But who, Mark, you're you've got Tyrrell's crisps, which is um, I think that's you know I'm not between the two of you. Who do you think's got the uh, the better sort of savoury snack d- down their front? Hands down, me. Contractually, I'm going to say, um, <laughs> 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 but yeah, I think we're really- hey, the calorie counts down on skips as well. You know, you're looking at 90 calories a packet compared to your 300 or whatever it is. So. <laughs> It's so professional these days, Joe. It's amazing. That's that is very. You've read you've read the whole. Uh, you've I read the whole press back there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Pombears is a spectacularly <laughs> spectacular. He's read the Pombear. Southern Brave Pombears is a spectacularly odd uh, choice of crisps we're going out with. I think it's a clever move. You think you look at their team and you've got Joffre Archer steaming in it, and he's got Pombears on his on his shirt. It's like quite a predicament as a batter you're sort of not really sure what to what to sort of make of the whole scenario yeah is he going to be bowling at 94 miles an hour or is he going to be yeah in a sort of slightly more childlike manner butter kissed as well with Birmingham that has a, that's had a bit of that and of course hula hoops Welsh fire I probably if I could play for any 100 team and of course we're a few months out I may well end up playing for a 100 team I think I'd probably Welsh fire would be good for me geographically and of course uh, hula hoops which I think trumps um even the McCoys up at Manchester. Well, great. I'm absolutely starving now, thanks, Miles. Spoke to my wife before on the phone. Oh, um, I'll order a um, curry for you when you get home. I said, Sarah, I do not want to see another curry for at least two months. <laughs> so, got to be fish and chips on it when you get home. So it'd be your mum's broth, to be fair. Oh, you're absolutely <laughs> right, Joe. I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> The amount of times we hear about this broth, I'm going to have to taste it. Sometime. It's top draw. You'll have a batch whenever you need it. The new world, so England Cup, you can have a batch whenever you want it. Is it like you're a kind of sort of medicine man in the England dressing room? People come in and they're awfully depressed having been out for a first baller and you say, I'll tell you what you need, son. You need to get your pads off. Let me pop this in the microwave for a moment. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the medicine man. I'm like sitting bull. I'm like the sitting bull of the England cricket team. <laughs> Rudy, what's what's been your favourite England kit? My favourite England kit, the the last World Cup one. Yeah, I'd have I quite enjoyed the, the ninety two kit, but I wasn't old enough to appreciate it really. 
I love how how big it was. Yes, as well. That would be like sort of Gooch and Botham in Australia. That that one. Gooch, Botham, Fairbrother, uh, De Freitas, the lot, Lewis, Lamb, Lamb, Robin Smith was he playing? Dermot Reeve, good side that. Pringle. I like I like the old um, the old massive Admiral kit. The 2005 Admiral kit. I used to every time I see that kit, it reminds us of uh, 2005. So I hope when people see the World Cup kit, it'll forever remind them remind them of that because that that still reminds me of the Ashes. Remember Harmy coming to the club and dishing it out, and I managed to get a pair of his pants. Honestly, they were the length of my body. <laughs> I've never ever worn them in my life. I, I got a T-shirt that was his. Honestly, I wore it for bed. It was like a nighty. I don't know if it's a Wi-Fi issue, but I genuinely thought. <laughs> Harmison came to our club and I got a pair of his pants. That's what it sounded like. Um, but yeah, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, if it, get, if it gets people interested in the game. Um, now, so uh, Woody, have you, have you prepared them? Um... <laughs> Derek Pringle uh, gave me a pair of plus fours once. Um, have you. Oh, Mortensen gave me some socks. Um, have you got um, Have you got some uh, some Woody questions lined up? Have you got your super over questions? Do you know about Mark Wood's super over? I'd be amazed if you didn't. I mean, it's what everyone's been. Perhaps perhaps you've not been reading the news, but uh, very exciting. Joe, you've got ninety seconds. Miles is going to be on the clock. I'm going to name some things or ask you some questions. You've just got to say the first thing that comes to your mind uh, in ninety seconds. Answer as many as you can. And, um, yeah, good luck. Are you ready, Joe? Root, England, captain. Yes, mate. <laughs> right, here we go. Miles, three, two, one. For the barest of margins, turn and pitch or green top? Green top. Favourite TV dog? Uh, Snoopy. Last photo you took? Uh, my daughter, Bella. Lovely. What's your favourite cricket ground? Uh, Cape Town. If a duck flew at you, would you duck or fight back? Panic, I would probably probably duck. Uh, steam room or sauna? Steam room. Favourite player as a child? Uh, Mark Wood. <laughs> Heaviest thing you've ever dropped on your foot? Um, <laughs> oh, I can't think. Uh, table. What's the worst thing you've been bitten by? Mark Wood. <laughs> probably true. Name three PSL teams. Islamabad United. I should know this. Peshwari Salmin and um, Karachi Kings. And last but not least, Miles is stealing apples from your garden. What do you shout at him? Uh, bring us a couple up to the door. <laughs> not bad. You're the, the barest of margins. Really some lovely answers there. We've not had Snoopy before. Not had Snoopy. We've certainly not had Mark Wood as a favourite childhood cricketer before. I couldn't think of one and all I could see was Mark's face. So I was like, well, it can be my, he's my current favourite fast bowler, so, from Northumberland. <laughs> so when you said that I bit you, I tend to go Suarez a lot when I'm bowling. <laughs> I reckon you've like gone for a celebration like that. It was, it was it was a football warm-up game. Like, like We used to warm up playing football. And you've gone on like, for a celebration like that and I've gone to give you a hook and you bit my shoulder. Well, teeth went into my shoulder. I'll send you my dentist bill and I knew there was a reason that tooth was wobbly at the front. I knew... I think it's another symptom of your sort of natural aggression, Mark. That is the Tyson-esque aspect of your personality that bubbles to the surface all too often, sadly. Joe, I think... I mean, if I was you, I'd be desperate to enjoy my Friday evening now. Um, but I think it is, uh, it's very, very kind of you to, to come and join us on uh, Middle Please Umpire. I know that you're missing, Mark, so I hope that we've been able to help sort of soften some of that trauma for you by you having a chance to see a sort of digital version of him on your, on your screen. And uh, I can't wait to see you out in the middle scoring runs again in, uh, in some proper cricket very, very soon. But thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us today. Rudy. Really enjoyed it. Nice to see you both. Well, there we are, Joe Root. You're, I mean, for you, that's just, you know, it's nothing out of the ordinary, is it, for you, Mark, talking to Joe Root? But for me, I can't, I cannot deny, as I felt with a lot of these interviews, how strangely surreal it is uh, for me to be chatting to someone like that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a missing Joe Root score. Amazing 180 at Lords. 
day. It was against South Africa, I think. It was quite a sort of wobbly start to the day. And I just remember, I mean, presumably by four o'clock I'd have been quite drunk. And I just remember wandering around going, he's amazing, that guy, isn't he? He's absolutely amazing. Uh, but even now, years later, and completely sober, uh, I still think, you know, he he is an astonishing cricketer, isn't he? Yep. Uh, my favourite bit of all of that was when I thought you were going to break into batting tips with him when you were asking him how he goes about things with Peterson and Cook and all those guys. I was just waiting, this, waiting for you to go, when you play that yeah. sweep shot, just keep your head down a little <laughs> bit more. I thought that's why you were leading with that. Yeah, I would say... Uh... It's interesting you bring up your trigger movement, Joe, because I was, um, I mean, briefly watching it, uh, watched you briefly on Channel 4 the other day, and a couple of things did just come to mind that I think will, tell you what, send me, send me your email, and I'll put some uh, put some things in there for you. I mean, the amazing thing about the year that he's had that we we're talking about is, like, if you look at the rest of the scores in the team, especially in Sri Lanka, he literally, I mean, there was all that good performances, Johnny Bairstow, Joss Butler, Dan Lawrence, but Rudy really stood out above everyone. And behind the scenes, I mean... I know he has a peloton in the house. He's doing a lot more running. He's changed his diet. He leads from the front in terms of how he wants to play and the rest of the team play, concentration, the mental side of things. So, like, people probably don't realise, I mean, he's the same lad there as what he was, you know, all those years ago when I met him. Very down to earth, uh, speaks very well, leads the team very well. I think, you know, from I was I played his first game when he was captain. And I think now that what he's like as a captain now, He's obviously grown and developed, but he's stayed the same sort of person. He's kept his values the same. He's he's sort of inner strength is the same. Um, and his people skills and management skills are are the same. So what you hear there is what, what he's like all the time. He's just down to earth. I think that's the, that's the real measure of someone that is sort of unchanged, really, by that level of success. But then again, I guess someone that didn't change as a result of experiencing lots of failure as well, you'd think, as a characteristic, there's a certain amount of strength about that. Another thing that we didn't obviously discuss there um, was that me and Rudy we spend quite a lot of time together off the field and, and stuff. Um, he, he's someone that he's um, he likes his own space, his room and stuff, but he, he likes to chill out. But you insist on hanging out with yeah. him? The game when uh, I got FIFA in Sedusha, my first FIFA, I remember Rudy the first night was like, um, how are you feeling? I was like, oh, I'm okay, I'm a bit nervous. He's like, oh, come round, we'll have a burger, we'll play Mario Kart, we'll watch a movie. So I went round to his room, settled in. The next day, I obviously did really well. So every night we had to watch a movie, have a burger, just for pure superstition. So every night of that test match, and until we won, um, I was in his room watching different movies, and, and we still do that every now and again now. I should have asked him more about that than going quite as big on crisps as I did uh, I just um, I can't stop I, my mouth is full of saliva I, I can't stop now is that a recent development no just since you started talking about crisps oh right well I'm sorry to do that to you I mean if I mentioned like so Walker's crisps KP nuts Corker's crisps Buttercus popcorn don't please Bombay mix <laughs> now you're just naming city Min- mini cheddars twi- twi- twiglets enough enough you can explode matchsticks pepper army you're just talking about my arms and legs now <laughs> Broth. <laughs> oh gosh! Always oh, mention broth now. I um I uh, saw Joe Root once at a petrol station, and uh, I didn't feel this was a strong enough anecdote to share when he was with us. But uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to share it with you, Mark. I went I'd been with my son to watch a Watford Chelsea game, and we were driving back to where we live in Wales. And I pulled into the service station near here, and there'd been a one-day international at uh, Cardiff, I think it was. And this is just the garage near where we live. And there was an unusual amount of excitement there. And there were some people crowding around a car. And uh, so I said to them, why is everyone, you know, bothering whoever that person is? And they said, it's Joe Joe Roots in that car. Uh, So I said to myself, Joe Joe Roots in that car. I should, uh, I've got to go to the petrol station. I should say something to him on the way in. So I did something completely disingenuous. I went to the petrol station. I paid for my petrol. As I came out, he was still in the car eating a salad, I noticed. He wasn't eating a burger or anything filthy. Uh, I mean, if I see him this year, and undoubtedly he'll be tucking into a bag of delicious skips. They really do melt on the tongue, Mark. But he was eating a salad, and uh, I said, well played, Rooty. Uh, and he said, thanks. And then I got back to the car, and my son said, what did you say to him? I said, well played. And he goes, in what? And I said, I, I've got no idea how he played. I haven't checked the score or anything like that. So I, I effectively I lied to Joe Root. Uh, although I imagine, you know, his standards being what they, they are, he had played well. Mentioned a friend of mine where I live. I said, "You'll never guess who I bumped into at the Euro Garage." 
I said, Joe Root, uh, I mean, in the Euro garage. And he went, well, I'll have you know, I once bought Simon Jones a coffee in that garage. It's an absolute mecca, Mark, for uh, international cricketers. I mean, that's... So I think he's tried it. He's, he's been a classic topper there, hasn't that's he? Two, that's two, two international cricketers have been spotted at the same petrol station within a mm, 16-year time frame. Mm. He's topped your story there. The classic, um, I've been to Tenerife, no, I've been to Tenerife. My Joe Root anecdote is, I, I would say, I would call it dangerously weak. <laughs> I thought you were going to tee that up and see it. At the petrol station was, uh, oh, there's someone from Sheffield. They're really successful. They're a sportsman or a sports person. I thought you were going to give it the old, oh, it must be Jessica Ennis. She's the best person from Sheffield. And then drop in, oh, it was just your room. They um, they went to the same school. My friend went to that uh, the school that they went to in Sheffield, my friend Tom Rigglesworth, and I uh, was asking him about it. And he, there's, a, there's a sports hall named after Jessica Ennis, and, uh, and there isn't one named after Joe Root. And I, and I wonder sometimes if that's the source of the anger that drives him. <laughs> so a question this uh, week uh, off the back of my scintillating story of uh, seeing Joe Root at a, at a Euro garage. Uh, the question this week is, uh, have you ever seen any uh, cricketers, international or first class, uh, at a petrol station? Doesn't have to be a Euro garage. Could be a Shell. Could be uh, could be a Harvest. Absolutely anything. But it does have to have been a petrol station, and they do have to have played cricket to a professional standard. Or we're simply not interested. Please send your emails to middleplease at hotmail dot com. Have you seen Derek Pringle filling up in a branch of BP? Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Please on my hour where we had it, of course, the England captain, Joe Root. Thank you, Miles Joe, my colleague again, for making things so interesting, especially the garage story. Please, umpire is an electric production in association with Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.